Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Linamar Second Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speakers today. Thank you. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our second quarter conference call. Joining me this afternoon are members of my executive team, Jim Gerald, Dale Schneider, Roger Fulton, Mark Stoddard, as well as members of our corporate IR, marketing, finance, and legal teams. If you can advance the slide. Before I begin, I will draw your attention to the disclaimer that is currently being broadcast. Okay, I'm going to start off uh, with an update on the COVID-19 crisis and Linamar's reaction to such. So, as you know, we took a four-step approach to dealing with COVID-19. Assemble a team, gather data, make a plan, execute on the plan, and, of course, communicate broadly throughout, and we have continued to make excellent progress in this regard. Our focus right now is very much on the next phase of this crisis, restarting, rejuvenating, and recovering. First and foremost, we are determined to create a work environment where people feel and are as safe or safer coming to work than not coming to work. More than 90% of our employees are now back at work, which is great to see. We have had a few positive cases pop up, which is to be expected given the easing of restrictions broadly. The key is to stop any chance of the virus spreading within our facilities, and I believe we are doing a really good job of that. We've had no serious outbreaks in any of our plants. We're learning as we go, of course, and adjusting our protocols as required to address any concerns that do pop up. At the same time, I think it is really important for us all to play a role in rebuilding confidence to spur our economic recovery. Confidence in our ability to work safely, which we absolutely are, in the economy to weather the storm, and governments to manage the debt incurred in trying to mitigate the personal and economic impact of what we've experienced. Our safe work protocol is based on five key principles, screening, PPE, including masks and or face shields, distancing, increased cleaning and hygiene, and contact tracing. We are regularly surveying our employees as to how safe they feel at work and the adequacy of the safe work protocols and have had great, consistently strong scores for both metrics since we have started doing so. If there's a concern in any one plant or any one region in terms of how people are feeling, we can quickly focus in on that through this data that we're gathering, which does allow us to drill down by region and by plant. 
We're making excellent progress on the cash management and cost control aspects of our Lindemar Health Service Action Plan, as you see with our second quarter results. Capital spending was cut by more than 80% in the quarter to just $24 million, and we implemented cost savings of more than $30 million realized just in Q2 alone. Our global cost team has identified and implemented nearly $30 million of annualized savings, and every plant, group, and region has implemented significantly more savings in their areas as well. In terms of our balance sheet, we continue to be in a very strong position thanks to the success of our cost and cash initiatives. I'd like to point out that we have not lost focus on these areas, as we believe there is still a lot of uncertainty out there, and now is not the time for us to become complacent. We look in detail at forecasts at least two quarters out every single week on sales, earnings, and cash, and we stress test to ensure we're aware of any potential weaknesses. We've run stress models in which we model an, another two-month shutdown, which, by the way, we feel is very unlikely to happen, and others where we cut output significantly for the remainder of the year. In both cases, we remain profitable for the year, generate cash for the full year, and do not breach our covenants. We do not have any debt maturing this year. We early paid a private placement note in the quarter that was due 15 months from now from a risk mitigation perspective and to take advantage of lower cost current borrowing rates. Dale will provide more information for you shortly on that transaction. Here you can see the stress scenarios I described, which basically cut in half current expected operating earnings levels, and as noted, still leave us profitable, still leave us generating cash, and not breaching any covenants. Another key area of focus for us, of course, has been community support. I think we've done uh, an excellent job in rapidly retooling lines for ventilator components and full assembly production, and I think it's just a great example of Linamar's innovation our responsiveness, and our flexibility. We were in part production on several orders for ventilator parts within two weeks of the first phone call. We were assembly ready to build UV disinfection units for clean slate in just four weeks. And we were assembly ready to build our ICU-in-a-box integrated ventilator and life support systems for Thornhill, comprised, by the way, of 1,700 different components in only six weeks. How did we manage to do that? Well, we were able to do it because we are a remarkably agile, flexible company, both in our management style, in our engineering and supply chain management capabilities, and in our actual equipment, which can be easily and rapidly retooled to new programs. We are technically incredibly deep. Our team is fantastic, and it's adaptable, and our lean manufacturing skills are transferable. Now, I'm blowing this horn a little bit because we're often questioned and challenged about how Linamar will handle a changing landscape of design and technology in the fields in which we focus. Linamar is an advanced manufacturing company, through and through. We can design and manufacture products for all kinds of industries and do and will continue to do so long into the future, regardless of where technology take us. We see technology change as only one thing, opportunity. And we will, as we always have, chase those opportunities down and continue to prosper. We're at various stages of completion for these different products. 
So the component work for GM, Zoll, and O2, we are complete or nearly complete. For Thornhill, we've built about 100 units, and we have, uh, we will have the full order of around 1,000 units complete within a few months. There is some potential for additional volume on this product as well. Similarly, we've built around 100 units for the clean slate uh, disinfection system, and we'll continue to ramp up uh, on production there as we get into the fall. Okay, with that, let's jump into some of the specifics around the quarter, starting with sales, earnings, and content. So sales for the quarter were $924 million, down 56% from last year. The pandemic, of course, was the key driver of our results, having cost us an estimated $1.13 billion in sales in the quarter and an estimated $345 million in operating earnings for decremental margins of 31% at the OE level. Slower agricultural sales, as, as expected, put a bit of a drag on the quarter as well. All of that was mitigated by some fantastic cost savings execution by our team. Launching business on the transportation side also helped, as to some extent did some uh, government support programs around the world. If I strip out COVID-related sales, earnings, and any of the subsidy impact, we did actually see margin growth in both the transportation segment and overall, thanks to this great cost-saving work that was done as well as launches. Overall, EBITDA as well remained positive despite the pressures from the pandemic with double-digit margins. In North America, contract per vehicle for the quarter was $192.74, up quite a bit over last year with customers we have a heavy waiting with also seeing the biggest market share gain. The story in Europe and Asia is the same, with contract per vehicle growth for the quarter in both regions at $86.53 and $14.11 respectively. Production levels were down dramatically in each market, most significantly, of course, in North America and Europe, given the lag to China. China was still down, but recovering from a tough Q1. Global content per vehicle was down a little, which isn't a surprise. We're most heavily weighted in our auto business in North America and Europe, which saw the biggest production decline, thus disproportionately impacting global content per vehicle. Commercial and industrial sales were down 54% in the quarter due to lower Skyjack sales on global markets down nearly 50%, as well as lower Macdon sales on soft agricultural markets. The Draper header market was down in double digits over last year in Canada, where Macdon has strong market share. These declines were partially offset by great market share growth for Macdon in Europe and CIS. In fact, Macdon sales in Europe in the first half of this year were up 86% over prior year levels despite the market being down. This has been a key strategy of Macdon since our acquisition, and it's great to see them delivering on it so strongly. Rapidly cutting back on CapEx was a key priority in the quarter given the headwinds faced, of course, due to the pandemic. As noted, CapEx is down more than 80% compared to last year at $24 million, and we intend to finish the year with CapEx down at least one-third from last year. And as already mentioned, we saw another strong quarter of free cash flow despite weeks of no receivables following customer shutdowns. 
We saw another $170 million of cash generated. We paid down debt, and we kept our liquidity at $1.1 billion. In fact, we have paid down nearly $600 million of net debt from where we stood a year ago, despite the pressures of the pandemic. Leverage turned up somewhat to 1.8 times EBITDA due to that soft uh, EBITDA. Q2 will be the peak quarter for leverage, with the ratio improving already in Q3 under current forecasts. Free cash flow is something Lindemar is quite good at managing. We've seen strong free cash flow over the last five years, and expect to see positive free cash flow this year as well. In addition, we are seeing strong levels of free cash flow yield. Our strong balance sheet and liquidity mean we have the ability to weather the financial impact of this situation over the next couple of quarters in a way that a lot of suppliers will not be able to. This means we will have the ability to take on takeover work or potentially acquisitions as they arise and drive even more market share growth to mitigate soft markets and accelerate future growth. Turning to our market outlook, we are seeing markets down across the board this year, which shouldn't be a surprise. Industry experts are predicting steeply declining light vehicle volumes globally this year to 12.6 million, 15.9 million, and 37.3 million vehicles in North America, Europe, and Asia, respectively. It's expected each market's going to see a strong double-digit recovery in 2021, as I'll show you in a minute. Uh, on highway medium heavy truck volumes are predicted to be down significantly in all markets this year with growth in most regions next year except Asia. In the access market, the industry is predicting significant declines globally this year, but most notably in North America and Europe, where the market will drop as much as 50% with the COVID-19 pandemic adding significant pressure to an already soft year in terms of demand. Next year should see some growth resume, although it is difficult to predict at this point in time. In the agricultural market, the industry expectation is for declining combine draper head of markets in the double digits this year in North America, thanks mainly to a tough harvest last year, as well as tariffs and political backlash that is hurting North American farmers and dampening demand, particularly in soybean and canola, and particularly in Canada. The European and CIS markets are also expected to decline this year, although Australia may see some improvement and South America likely to stay fairly flat. The egg market seems to have not been adversely impacted by the current pandemic. Our market expectations are basically unchanged from our expectations going into the year. Macdon continues to build market share in its international markets, most notably in Europe to partially offset global market declines, as I just mentioned. But nevertheless, we will see sales down in double digits at MacDon this year, with growth resuming next year. Uh, as noted, almost all of these markets bounce, bounce back meaningfully in 2021, if you look pretty much across the board. On the auto side, you can see an increase in 2021 in every region globally after a very tough, uh, obviously, 2020. Now, not surprisingly, 2020 is expected to be the trough for global production levels at nearly 70 million, 69.5 million. Q2 uh, of this year will, of course, be the low point in production from a quarterly basis, 
with production expected to bounce back up over Q1 levels in Q3, although still shy of last year's uh, Q3. Production recovery, of course, derives from consumer demand. Uh, you can see uh, here, I think we may be one slide ahead, if you could just go back a slide. And one more. Um, yeah, nope, if we can go back uh, to the consumer slide with the consumer. Hmm. Okay. Yep, so sorry. Uh, we uh, seem to be off uh, a little bit on our slides. I had a slide that showed consumer demand uh, and how that was uh, reacting in China, in uh, North America, and in Europe. So I'll just talk through it a little bit. I apologize that it's not uh, displaying on the screen uh, at, um, at the moment. So this is for our auto business. Uh, so in China, the uh, consumer retail demand was uh, quite negative right out of the gate. Uh, China was quite sharp and deep uh, in terms of the reaction, but then quickly bounced back up well over last year in, in terms of uh, vehicle demand and consumer demand, which for the last few months has actually been in the double digits. Uh, Europe's curve is deep but broad. Uh, with low levels of demand lingering for much longer, longer. although we did just see July numbers uh, out today, uh, which is basically um, back up to 2019 levels. Uh, in the U.S., the curve is a lot shallower. It only went down half the level that, uh, that we saw in uh, Europe and in China. Uh, it is taking a little longer to come back up, so it's broad like Europe, but it didn't go down as deeply. And uh, actually, July uh, was only down 12% to prior year. So not nearly as big a drop in North America, which is great to see. Uh, not surprisingly, this is driving higher production levels uh, at uh, the moment uh, in, uh, in North America and also in China. Uh, should bode well for European production when we get back from shutdown in a few weeks as well. So on this slide, you can see the changes to both Q2 and Q3 from what was predicted last quarter in terms of global light vehicle production. Uh, Q2 basically turned out exactly as predicted, uh, although lighter production levels uh, for Europe were offset by stronger than expected levels for Asia. Q3 uh, is expected to be just like marginally down uh, from last quarter's estimates, uh, mainly dropping out at a little bit less production in Asia Pacific, offset by a little bit stronger uh, production in North America. Uh, it's very consistent to what we're seeing in our customers' behavior at the moment as well. Um, this slide illustrates where volumes are now predicted for both 2020 and 2021 both of which are, again, basically very consistent with expectations last quarter, uh, tiny changes, as you can see. I think it's really good to see that these predictions have leveled off and not continuing to degrade, as, frankly, we've seen happen pretty consistently over the last uh, couple of years. In terms of patterns of correction in North America, this correction fits a standard level of reduction that we've seen historically, which is great news. Uh, so although COVID-19 did accelerate this change painfully for us, it does mean we can now look forward to volume starting to build again. Uh, 
So looking in more detail at the access market, you can see on the right-hand uh, graph the sharp declines in both North America and the European market June year-to-date. Year to That's the blue bars is the actual year-to-date. Predictions for 2020 full year as of Q2 are represented by the gray bar, which as you can see for both North, and, uh, North America and Europe are roughly 50%. Uh, and a little bit changed from the orange bar, which was the prediction for 2020 in uh, Q1. Uh, Asia has a more positive outlook, but it's also a, a much smaller market and one that we're just getting established in. So we're, we're definitely more affected by the North American and European markets. On the positive side, equipment utilization levels uh, were trending up in North America, certainly as we got into the summer. In fact, in June, utilization levels of equipment were at 93% of what they were in June 2019, uh, although we have seen some softening in that regard in July. Uh, here is a little more detail on the agricultural market. You can see North American combine retails trending up in Q2 after a tough first quarter, but notably most of that is driving out of the U.S. Canada is down 31% year-to-date and down 26% in Q2, uh, whereas noted, MacDon has dominant uh, market share. Okay, turning to an update on growth and outlook, you will be pleased to know that we've had a solid quarter in new business wins, despite not being able to physically visit our customers. Uh, I will highlight a couple of our more strategic wins in a moment. Uh, electrified vehicles, I'd like to point out, continue to provide great opportunities for us. You can see a steady build in our global content per, per vehicle for both battery electric vehicles and hybrids as a result of recent wins. The lines of internal combustion engine, battery electric vehicle, and hybrid global content per vehicle are converging, which of course is the goal. Now, interestingly, our content per vehicle and electric vehicles is now predicted to surpass that of hybrid vehicles a few years out for the first time, with continued solid wins in that market scene in the last couple of quarters. And also importantly, our global content per vehicle for battery electric vehicles in only three years is actually equivalent to what our global content per vehicle for internal combustion engine vehicles is today, which is fantastic news. Our adjustable market across a range of vehicle propulsion types continues to look excellent, with our total addressable market for us today, with around $80 billion, growing to more than $300 billion in the future, an increase of more than three times. We have recently updated this analysis to include additional content potential for battery electric vehicles, fuel cell electric vehicles, as well as hybrids. And as you can see, the market potential for each is really starting to even up. This is largely driving from the higher potential content we now have in the battery electric, fuel cell electric, as well as hybrid vehicles, thanks to continued product development efforts, such as the assembled battery tray we talked to you about last quarter as an example. In fact, our potential content for battery electric, hybrid electric, and fuel cell electric vehicles are now equivalent, in fact, a little higher than the content potential we have for internal combustion engine vehicles which is great to see. Our launch book is solid and expected to peak at more than $4.3 billion in sales, thanks to new wins this last quarter. 
we saw a shift, shift of $100 million of programs that moved from launch to production last quarter. Launching programs continue to mitigate market declines despite some delays. As usual, we are summarizing all of these market uh, expectations uh, and changes on our Outlook slide that's now being displayed. Uh, obviously, uncertainties about the coming months are still making it difficult to be very specific about our expectations. What we can say is we expect significant double-digit declines in both sales and earnings this year. But we do expect to be profitable overall and in both segments. And 2021 should see strong growth on rallying markets and, of course, solid expansion on the margin side. We expect to maintain leverage levels well under two for the year and improve significantly from that level in 2021. And we do expect to generate positive free cash flow in both years. Looking specifically at Q3, the COVID-19 pandemic will certainly continue to impact our results, but we should see steady improvements. As noted, North America and Asia are nearly back to pre-global COVID forecast levels, and the EU is improving. That said, the industrial segment has not yet shown signs of bouncing back and, frankly, is not normally better than Q2 in Q3 in any case. So I will add, as the lawyers insist I do, that impacts from COVID-19 outbreak are currently not fully understood or determinable in terms of their impact on segments at this point. So, of course, risk remains. But that said, if current market conditions persist, Q3 should see a meaningful improvement back towards Q1 levels for both sales and earnings. So I'm going to finish up highlighting a few of our more interesting wins this quarter, which were notable, again, mainly for electrified vehicles. So first, we picked up a package of e-axle gearbox components, for a battery electric vehicle in the quarter, representing a meaningful level of annual sales. This job is for a new entrant into the battery electric vehicle space. They're headquartered in the U.S. with a great and innovative vehicle design and concept. We are excited to, again, be expanding our portfolio of battery electric vehicle customers. Secondly, we were awarded a significant camshaft assembly job in the quarter. The design is very innovative and meant to drive much lower emissions uh, in a internal combustion engine design. The job will launch from one of our Guelph facilities and is substantial in uh, its revenue potential as well. And finally, a win for hybrid electric vehicles. This one uh, is in China. It is for a balanced shaft module a key product for smaller sized engines, which are often used in hybrid design. And the balance shaft module is key to reducing noise, vibration, and harshness in those smaller uh, engines. So an interesting growth product for us in hybrid vehicles. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to our CFO, Dale Schneider, to lead us through a more in-depth financial review. Dale, over to you. Thank you, Linda. Good afternoon, everyone. As Linda noted, Q2 was significantly impacted by COVID-19, as expected, given the shutdowns that occurred. Despite these impacts, it was a great quarter for cash generation, as we generated $170.5 million in free cash flow, which brings the year-to-date total to $317.6 million. Additionally, we were able to maintain our strong level of liquidity at $1.1 billion, which is unchanged from December 2019 levels. 
For the quarter, sales were 924 million, down 1.2 billion from 2.1 billion in Q2 2019. Earnings are normalized for FX losses related to the evaluation of the balance sheet and any unusual items that occurred in the quarter. In Q2, earnings were normalized for the cost impact of prepaying the 2021 notes. We made the decision to prepay the notes early as at the time there was a high level of uncertainty around OEM restart, OEMs restarting their operations and around their production ramp up schedules. This caused significant uncertainty for Linamar, Linamar's own recovery and restart plans. To mitigate any potential capital or liquidity risk and given the 30 day notice period within the notes, we decided in May to prepay the notes early. The prepayment was funded with available cash and as such, there will be a benefit over the next 15 months of removing the higher fixed interest rates on the notes in comparison to current market rates. As a result, we are expecting a payback of just over 15 months at today's current rates. The impact from prepaying the notes was 11 cents per share on EPS. Earnings were further normalized for FX losses related to the revaluation of the balance sheet which impacted EPS by 13 cents per share. Normalized operating losses for the quarter were 19.4 million. This compares to earnings of 225.3 million in Q2 2019, a decrease of 244.7 million or 108.6%. Normalized net earnings decreased 180.3 million or 113.9% in the quarter to a loss of 22 million. Fully diluted normalized EPS decreased by $2.74 or 114.2% to a loss of $0.34. Cents. Included in earnings for the quarter was a foreign exchange loss of $11 million, which resulted from a $5.9 million loss related to the revaluation of operating balances and a $5.1 million loss due to the revaluation of financing balances. As I mentioned, the net FX loss impacted the quarter's EPS by 13 cents. From a business segment perspective, the Q2 FX loss due to the revaluation of operating balances of 5.9 million was a result of a $12 million loss in industrial and a $6.1 million, $6 million gain in transportation. Further looking at the segments, industrial sales decreased by 56.7% or $339.9 million to 259.2 million in Q2. The decrease for the quarter was due to the sales decline associated with the global COVID-19 pandemic and the expected agricultural sales declines due to the ongoing issues in these markets as we have discussed over the last number of quarters. Normalized investor operating earnings for Q2 decreased 71 million or 66% over last year to 36.5 million. Primary drivers impacting industrial were the lower volumes as I just discussed. This was partially offset by various government support programs related to COVID-19. Turning to transportation, sales decreased by 822.6 million over Q2 last year to 664 million. The sales decrease in the second quarter was driven by the impact of COVID-19 and the resultant customer shutdowns that occurred in the quarter. This was lessened by a favorable FX impact due to the changes in rates since last year. Q2 normalized earnings for transportation were lower by 173.7 million or 147.5% over last year 
in the quarter, transportation earnings were impacted primarily by the COVID-19 shutdowns, which was partially offset by the targeted cost reductions achieved in the quarter, the various government support programs for COVID-19, and a favorable FX impact due to the changes in rates since last year. Returning to the overall Lenmar results, the company's gross margin was $41 million, a decrease of $293.4 million, primarily due to the lower earnings from the reduced volumes in both segments due to the impact of COVID-19. The lower volumes in agriculture, which was mitigated by the targeted cost reductions achieved and the impact of various global government support programs. COGS amortization expense for the second quarter was $109.4 million. COGS amortization as a percent of sales increased 11.8%, primarily to the significant decline in sales related to COVID-19 in the quarter. Selling general administration costs decreased in the quarter to $60.4 million from $111 million. The decrease is mainly due to targeted cost reductions to help offset the COVID-19 impact on our earnings and due to the impact of various government support programs. Finance expenses increased $4 million since last year due to the impact of prepaying the 2021 notes, which was mitigated by the impact of lower interest rates and lower debt levels. The consolidated effective interest rate for Q2 declined to 2% from 2.9% last year. The effective tax rate for the second quarter decreased to 21.2% compared to last year, which was mainly driven by the impact of a tax adjustment related to prior years that was recorded in the quarter. We are expecting the 2020 full year effective tax rate to be at the high end of our range of 23 to 25%. Lenormand's cash position was $375.6 million on June 30th, a decrease of $62 million compared to June 2019. The second quarter generated $193.5 million in cash from operating activities, which is used mainly to fund CapEx and note repayments. This also resulted in free cash flow generation of $170.5 million in the quarter. Net debt to EBITDA increased slightly to 1.8 times in the quarter as a result of the COVID shutdowns, which was lessened by the strong cash generation in the quarter. Based on current estimates, we are expecting to remain well under two times by the end of the year. This is subject to change as the impacts of COVID-19 is still very fluid and may not be currently fully understood. The amount of available credit on our credit facilities was $754 million at the end of the quarter. Our available liquidity at the end of the Q2 was $1.1 billion, and as a result, we currently believe we have sufficient liquidity to satisfy our financial obligations during 2020. To recap, sales and earnings for the quarter was a story of COVID-19. With the dramatic impact the pandemic is having on Lenamar, the critical story is one of cash and liquidity. Lenamar had a remarkable cash generation quarter as we generated $170.5 million in the quarter and $317.6 million year-to-date in free cash flow and maintaining strong liquidity at 2019 levels of $1.1 billion. That concludes my commentary, and I'd now like to open up for questions. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star to the number one on your telephone keypad. That is star one to ask an audio question. We will pause for just a moment to compile that Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Mark Nouvelle with Scotiabank. 
afternoon. Um, thanks for taking my questions. Um, first, Linda, you made um, you made a comment I think during the outlook. I just want to point. I just want to clarify that Q3 would be back towards or trend towards Q1 levels for sales and profitability. I wasn't sure if that was consolidated or industrial. No, I was talking about our overall Q3 results. So if you look at the outlook slide that's um, being displayed uh, right now, over on the side you can see our outlook for Q3. So we're talking a little bit about, the, you know, the industrial specifically. Uh, and then at the bottom we're talking about the overall consolidated results that we uh, feel will be um, bouncing back up uh, in a meaningful way to get uh, towards where we were in Q1. Okay. Okay. Um, and I know you're not providing sort of an outlook or, I mean, this is good color, but um, I guess we can make our own assumptions around the transport, but around the industrial, do you have sort of, you, are you willing to sort of make a, a ballpark estimate of what you think sales may be down for the year, like, consult, like consolidated industrial? Uh, well, no. I mean, you know, as, as you know, we don't give uh, sure. specifics ever really around uh, what our forward-looking information is going to be. And certainly right now with, uh, you know, so much uncertainty around what's happening is certainly not the quarter to start uh, giving you a number in terms of what's going to be happening with uh, with our industrial business. Sure, understood, but it, was, it is the quarter to ask. <laughs> um, but thanks, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Dale, just a point of clarification for you. The, the government grants or subsidies in the quarter, um, I think it was 52 or 53 million. Um, is that correct? And um, maybe how does that flow through the P&Ls that hitting different segments as it running through the corporate line? Just trying to understand how it sort of helps um, each business segment in the quarter. Um, most, yes, the $52.8 million uh, does flow through the statements in various locations because it's, mm -hmm. most of it is related to uh, wages and benefits. So yep. it does hit cost goods sold and SG&A. Uh, we haven't split out it by segment, though, but obviously the majority of our employees are in the transportation segment. We have the biggest impact. Sure. Um, maybe just one last question, then, if I can. Um, just on the working cap, um, obviously it was a great quarter, um, but is some of that, I, I assume some of that reverses in the second half as the business ramps. Um, I'm just trying to get an idea sort of what the second half investment might look like, or if you'd still see some cash coming out of working cap. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly on the CapEx side, we're, we're you know, we're going to start to need to spend again. I mean, we, we ratcheted back quite uh, significantly in uh, the second quarter, but, you know, we're going to, we will start spending again, but uh, still for the year should be down significantly from last year. Uh, in terms of uh, non-cash, I mean, obviously, as we uh, ramp up, there's, uh, you know, a pull on non-cash working capital, but uh, also an opportunity for, uh, you know, managing the receivables, uh, particularly on the auto side, through some programs we have in place. So uh, that, that sort of offsets that. So we don't see, uh, you know, a huge sucking sound on the non-cash continue to generate free cash flow uh, throughout the back half of the year. Um, Dale, did you have anything else you want to add to that? No, I thought that was an excellent answer.
All right, thanks a lot. Uh, we'll get back into you. And a good job, Nancy, for the report. Thanks, Mark. And your next question comes from Krista Friesen with CIBC. Hi, good afternoon. Just a question on your free cash flow. It was it was quite good this quarter in spite of the pandemic. I was just wondering how you think about returning cash to shareholders as production improves, what sort of metrics you're looking at before becoming more active on your NCIB or returning your dividend to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, on, on the dividend side, the cut, uh, to half was always meant to be temporary, uh, and we'd always envisioned it for a couple of quarters. So, uh, you know, if things go well, hopefully we'll be seeing that come back up, uh, quite soon. Uh, in terms of the NCID, uh, obviously we want to support, uh, our share price, but, Given uh, continued uncertainties out there, I think it's definitely premature uh, to to do that. Uh, but that said, you know, if things continue to uh, transpire as we currently expect, uh, both uh, the dividend and the buyback will be firmly back uh, on the table and open for discussion because we're seeing some great levels of free cash flow and expect to have good free cash flow next year as well. Perfect, thanks. And just a question on your CPV. So there was a pretty big spike this quarter, and I was wondering how sticky is that number as production increases? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when there's volatility in production, the content for vehicle number tends to um, flop all over the place, right? So I think that uh, it's probably not, not that sticky, especially the North American number of 192. Uh, I mean, it was driven up because customers that we are more heavily weighted with uh, were the ones that uh, were, you know, driving most of the production uh, in the quarter. So, you know, as other OEMs start to ramp back up to more meaningful levels of production, I mean, that's going to dilute that down uh, again as well. Perfect. Thanks. That's it for me. And again, if you'd like to ask an audio question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. That is star one to ask an audio question. Your next question comes from Peter Schuyler with BMO Capital Markets. Um, my first question is the, you know, the government support levels um, that you've benefited from, the $53 million, you know, which is quite substantial. Was that the major reason why you um, revised your guidance for the second quarter is that you saw you started to be able to see the benefit coming and you were able to, uh, I guess, calculate what the amount was? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, that was one uh, piece of, uh, of the puzzle, right? So I'd say uh, hugely influential, you know, in, in comparing where we thought we'd be when we uh, released first quarter results uh, as opposed to where things, you know, started to look like what, where they panned out uh, was first and foremost much stronger North American production levels than uh, we had been expecting. We, you know, weren't really sure what was going to happen in terms of the ramp up. I don't think our customers really did either. Uh, 
And what ended up happening was a much more rapid uh, ramp up uh, in production than anybody had expected. So that was, you know, a really big piece uh, of the puzzle. Uh, also very influential was the significant cost savings. I mean, more than $30 million in the quarter. That's, that's not an annualized figure. That's in the quarter uh, cost savings that were realized that, uh, you know, we, it was implemented a lot quicker than, uh, frankly, we had uh, expected. Uh, and then, you know, the, the government subsidy is a piece of it, but don't, re don't forget that that was meant to, you know, designed to help employers bring employees back to work. Right, so that they could get paid at either 100% of their wage or at least 75% uh, of their wage. So, uh, of course, we wanted to tap into the program for the benefit of those people who were laid off. Um, but uh, and also, it enabled us to bring more people back, uh, you know, to full-time work than we, you know, would have originally done. And the cost of that, of course, was not netted off that 50 million because we did you know, have additional costs for them uh, as well. So uh, there were some costs there that are not, not netted off. Hey, and maybe just to add to that, uh, Peter, I mean, back in the sort of early May time frame, I mean, when we're working with our customers, they're, they're weekly telling us, watch the EDIs, check the releases, and all those type of things. So we never really anticipated them jumping back to three shifts or you know, two shifts on some of these uh, applications. So that was really uh, an important factor. And then also, as Linda said, the cost reduction, we, we created a team basically around the world and things that people wouldn't think of, right? Like, you know, s stop doing subscriptions, you know, stop doing uniform cleaning, stop, you know, picking up garbage. I mean, things that you, you know, you don't have the full workload going, just stop those things. So we really focused in on that. And then I think the... Um, bringing people back to work if you look at what we did on ventilators and um, you know the clean slate on that ultraviolet system and then also you know working with uh, you know local communities on PPE like distributing and making things to really support some of those uh, things in the community to get people back to work so I thought that was really important as well at the time okay but what's the <clears throat> timeline for these government subsidies to expire because I assume you're seeing them in Canada, US. I'm not too sure if you're seeing them in Mexico and I don't know where you're at in Europe. And also like on these cost savings, Jim, the 30 million in the quarter, like they will creep back in, won't they? Because you can only defer them at some point. You know, you have to clean your uniforms and you know, you need garbage pickup. Certainly like some of yeah, them I mean, are, some of them. Yeah. Go ahead. Man. Sorry, Jim. Yeah. Some of them are going to come back. But, I mean, a lot of it, like, there was, you know, travel costs that, you know, were significantly cut and, you know, like, you know, conferences, all these kind of things that people aren't going to. I mean, those things are not going to come back by any uh, stretch. And, you know, putting something off that, okay, we're just not going to do that this year, or, you know, there's a lot of cost savings that are sticky and are going to uh, hang on uh, at least for another uh, few uh, few quarters. And with regards to the government subsidy itself, uh, you know, it depends on the country, obviously, but of what's happening and what's, you know, how long it's going to last. But, I mean, certainly the, the Canadian program is changing dramatically over the next uh, couple of months uh, as well, again, to encourage people to come back to work. And that's, that's the whole uh, point of it, right? So, 
you know, this, uh, you know, we had costs associated with bringing all those people back to work that um, is not considered when you look at that 50 million. So, you know, you do need to keep that in mind as well. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Jim. You, um, you no, go no. ahead. No, I, I think we're on the same page, and it was the same sort of thing. Anything associated with production, Peter, certainly would come back, but I was going to say some of the things, the sustaining stuff about travel and things like that that people are just not doing, those are sort of longer term until that sort of gets back to a normal state of, you know, having a cure or vaccine or something, right? I think that'll be sort of stay, stay status quo. Okay, and I would just I would just lastly uh, say as well that uh, you know we're still remaining extremely cost conscious, and you know as I mentioned in my formal comments, not becoming kind of complacent that oh, okay we're coming out of it because you know there's there's risk out there, so you know we're we're stay, we're keeping it pretty tight for a while. Okay, um, switching gears. Um, like the the as you point out, like the outlook for the two industrial markets that you're involved in are it's kind of cloudy. It's it's you know to really put your finger on how they're going to, you know how those sectors are going to perform, you know for the rest of the year and into 2021. But you, can you comment like what are you seeing in your um, order book uh, for Skyjack and for McDonald is 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 the order book stable or is it building or is it declining? Like, what are you seeing for yourselves? Yeah, so, I mean, for Mastodon, uh, you know, as noted, we were expecting the market to be down, uh, and it is down. Uh, so, uh, but it's not, you know, 50% down. I mean, it's, uh, you know, not, not down at anything close to that. It's like 10% down, you know, so... Uh, it's double-digit, but it's pretty low double-digit uh, decline. So, you know, we, we had a, a chart that I showed on that. I think year-to-date was like 9% down. So uh, it'll be around that for the year. So, you know, uh, for egg, actually, the outlook is pretty good because uh, although this year is a pretty, you know, rough year, uh, we are seeing great market share growth, like in Europe, for instance, uh, which is uh, is really helping. Uh, to offset that, uh, so you know we we feel like uh, you know things are are you know not that bad on the egg side. On the access side, I mean, uh, you know, for sure we're not seeing signs of the market bouncing back yet. So uh, you know, it's it's um, very reliant on construction levels, and that's reliant on people being able to leave their houses and work. Uh, so you know, I think that. I thought it was quite positive that we were seeing the the uh, equipment utilization levels really ramping up. Uh, you know, June being at 93% of where it was a year ago, that was great. Uh, but with the uh, you know sort of resurgence in the in the U.S. Uh, of uh, of the virus, we've seen things slow down uh, in July. So you know, it's a little uncertain. And when it's uncertain, the rental houses aren't fine. So, you know, we're not seeing the momentum there yet, uh, but, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, the agricultural business performing not too badly. Um, Jim, can you give a little more color on that? 
Yeah, I was just going to maybe add um, on the ag side, the, you know, we watch the dealer inventories and they're at sort of the right levels that we, you know, been thinking through. So that's a, that's a pretty important thing that we're watching, Peter. And then also, you know, farmer confidence and stuff like that. And, that, you know, those seem in line with what uh, Linda said. And then, you know, access on the access market, I would say in general, you know, we're we're seeing sort of maybe some postponement of stuff, you know, just things like that where we're expecting order intake. It might be getting postponed or deferred a little bit, right? But that's more what we're seeing there on sort of day-to-day -day feel and touch, right? So that is, Linda was saying, is a little less clear um, on where that, that's going to go in the next, you know, couple quarters. Right. And just remind me of the seasonality and the access in terms of the order patterns. Q3 is a weaker quarter than Q2 in terms of order development. Isn't, is that true? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, sorry, just bear with me. I just have one more question, which is, um, like this, this ramp that we've had in the North American automotive industry, like as you point out, where they're, they're really ramping back quite quickly to try and, you know, resolve these depleted inventory levels. Like how, how has it gone in terms of the industry? Has, you know, have part suppliers been able to perform so you're seeming, seeing, uh, you know, limited interruption or, or has there been kind of stops and starts as you've ramped up? Not not saying that Linamar is an issue, but other part suppliers, you yes. know, in Mexico and Elsa have been an issue and slow. Yes, I mean, I, I think overall it's been reasonably smooth, uh, you know, surprisingly so. I mean, certainly there's been the odd issue here and there, and certainly things regionally like Mexico, uh, you know, is having issues. So some, uh, some states are, you know, forcing shutdowns and less shifts, but... Uh, Jim, why don't you add some more uh, yeah. color to that? It's, it's been it's been really fluid, and yes, there has been some stops and starts and things like that with some suppliers struggling. Um, and you know, there's obviously there has been and there will be more COVID cases that pop up in the OEM in the supply base. And but I, I got to say, overall in general, I think the protocols at the automotive side and the supply base have been excellent, and people are following those. And so, you know, and I think there's a commitment um, on the OEM side to, you know, keep going, that they're not going to, you know, you know, you know, stop things again. They, they now, I think we all know we've got to be doing both things, right? We've got to keep, you know, uh, you know, people safe, but we also got to keep livelihoods going and the, and the demands there, right? So, which is, you know, really incredible to see as well. So, you know, there's been a little bit of here and there, but nothing. Like, I, I thought we would see more of it, quite frankly, And but we've seen some, uh, you know, pretty good action. Okay. Uh, those are my questions. Thank you. Great. And there are no further questions. I would like to turn it back over to Linda for any closing remarks. Okay, great. Uh, thanks very much. Well, to conclude this evening, I'd like to, as always, leave you with three key messages. Uh, first, we have executed strongly on our cost reduction and cash generation action plans with excellent results this quarter, including more than $30 million of realized cost savings and free cash flow of $170 million. I just have to say it one more time. Second, our balance sheet is in strong shape with debt reduced further and liquidity held 
despite a very demanding quarter in terms of market pressures. And finally, we are very proud of our teams for their outstanding execution on launching complex ventilator and UV disinfection systems in record time, and at the same time, flawlessly ramping production back up globally with now more than 90% of our workforce back to work and working safely. So thanks, uh, everybody, and uh, I hope you all keep well. That does conclude today's call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.